Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hi guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about season four, episode 17, Superstar. Uh, This episode I have mixed feelings about because on the one hand, it's absolutely hilarious. It's really fun to watch. I adore the concept of bringing in a minor character, someone who's been very much a background character up until now and giving them their own episode arc. Um, And then, you know, Joss Whedon and company and Jane Espenson and the rest completely, you know, gaslighting the entire Buffyverse community. I think the premise and the idea of it is just really, really fun. Um, But this was an interesting choice positionally wise in the season to have this right after the two faith centric episodes, specifically with trying to deal with the Buffy and Riley fallout, like the aftermath of all that stuff. Um, specifically when we're dealing with really tough trauma from the previous episode and dealing with things such as assault. Um, so I don't know, it's a bit of a mixed bag because I want to love the episode for what it's trying to do, but then I also feel like it kind of just really missed the mark in a lot of places. So I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on this episode? It's not as bad as I remember it being, or I should say it's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Everyone always says that they skip it and rewatches and all that sort of stuff. It's hard because when I was watching it, I was just kept being like, okay, there's like nothing really going on, like kind of a pointless episode. And like I do still kind of hold to that um, because the only thing that we kind of somewhat deal with is like Buffy and Riley. But even so then it's not – I mean we always say this about the Buffy episodes because like it's true, but it's like they're – resolution with trauma is just never almost never like what we want dealt with properly yeah yeah so like their discussions in this episode are just barely barely even scratching the surface of what they need to be and it's more about buffy's insecurity which are valid but it's like why aren't we talking about how like riley is feeling He's the victim in the situation as well, probably way more so than Buffy is. Buffy was still very much violated, but like, I don't know. I really do feel like Riley could really have some like heavier stuff. It's more of just like him kind of being there to reassure Buffy, which I don't mind, but like, we also need that for him as well. Um, I like that it's Jonathan as a side character, mm-hmm. but I do feel like at the end of the episode, nothing was revealed about him that we didn't already know if you know what I mean yeah um I don't dislike that like I again I like that it's him out of the side character side characters um and I did like their interaction at the end but I kind of wish it was more about Jonathan and his psyche in that conversation rather than him kind of giving like a another advice or whatever uh for Buffy and Riley I kind of wish it was more of like her being like Asking him why he felt the need to do that or just having some sort of like, I don't know, conversation more about Jonathan at the very end. But I don't know. I actually kind of think that we did learn something about Jonathan. I think we've never really seen Jonathan 
do anything evil. Like the worst was he was going to go kill himself in the tower. Like that's the most we've seen of him. And so this was interesting in that we kind of saw a little bit more of a selfish um, mm. I guess we kind of already saw a selfish side, but I don't know. I, I kind of felt like we saw a little bit more of a, like how far Jonathan's willing to go. Like it wasn't just enough that he, like in, um, earshot, he was going to take himself out of the equation, but now he's trying to alter other people's perception of him. Um, which shows that maybe he actually hasn't really gotten over everything that happened in earshot when Buffy had that whole conversation with him, you know? If I just I feel like it was very in character, but I feel like if we're gonna have an entire episode about a side character, give me some more because it was kind of predictable based on the character that we know already. Um, which again, it wasn't bad. Like I like seeing side storylines like that. I like seeing characters like Jonathan kind of get like a little bit more of their moment. I just wish it was like if they're really gonna go there or give a whole entire episode to Jonathan, I want them to go a little bit deeper where I'm like, huh, interesting. Like I would I didn't really find it that interesting. Yeah, this this episode I feel like often gets lost in the shuffle. I think people forget that this is in season four. Like it's seriously one of those episodes I even forget about. And I yeah. I think a lot of it is because it it basically feels like they're using this episode as a giant MacGuffin in order to get the Scooby gang the mm -hmm. information they need about Adam through Jonathan because they weren't sure exactly how to do that. Or it's, it feels like they're trying to use this as a filler episode to buy time before they can finally actually like address the arc of Adam at the very end without having to stretch it out so much. Um, this I, this would have worked so much better so 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 much better at the very beginning of season four because it's right after high school people kind of like have those like identity issues uh, sure. especially that would have really worked for jonathan because like he already had that fish out of water experience in high school but then also going into college i really feel like that might be a little bit triggering for him but I, like like he says like at the very end of season four we're supposed to be i mean that's a big issue with the season in general but like the tail end i'm like this is supposed to be when i'm like like I have so much anxiety because the finale is coming up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like I'm not scared whatsoever. Adam's going to be defeated. We're going to be fine. Okay, there's a Jonathan episode and nothing really changed, you know, except for poor Tara getting like beaten up. I don't even remember that at all, guys. I swear I did not remember <laughs> that at all. I was actually shocked. I don't remember that at all. It's kind of traumatizing. Poor sweet scenes. Tara. Yeah, guys, I'm big dead. Like I actually did not remember that. No one talks about it. The poor girl. What was that for? <laughs> like, it was kind of pointless. Like, we already knew what the design looked like. It just was another example of someone seeing the design. She didn't need to go through that <laughs> to reaffirm. I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like this episode in itself and, like you said, Sarah, the position in the season is just kind of like whiplash. Like, yeah. I feel like this episode would have been so much better at the beginning of season four, like, because it's just kind of like, I feel like there's so much in it that just you really need addressed that just doesn't get addressed. Yeah, I agree. At, at, at this late in the season, they need to start focusing on Adam. But the thing is, is they don't have enough material for Adam and the big bads. Um so they're kind of just filling it with a bunch of fun filler episodes and interspersing a scene or two of Adam repeating the same thing we've heard him say this entire time. Also, they can finally get to the last two to three episodes and then have the big 
fight, final fight, and that be it, and it'd be over. So, I mean, but think about it. We had, you know, I think it would Doom didn't really talk about Adam very much, but it was like the Iron Team and Goodbye Iowa were two major season arc episodes. And then we jump straight into this year's girl, Who Are You? Then this episode. And then the next episode where the wild things are, all four of those episodes, and then right after that is New Moon Rising, all five of those episodes really have very little to do with the overall plot. And it's more character moments, which is fine, but we are not emotionally invested in this big bad at all. And this would have been the moment to kind of like try a little bit harder maybe. So, I mean, we're not saying anything new, anything groundbreaking. Everyone feels this way about season four. It is what it is. Well, it's also crazy to think that the last episode that we had that was kind of like centered around the big bad was the episode after Maggie Walsh died where Riley is all drugged out and like you have that last scene with Adam where he's like, you know, brother, like that's the last thing that we have about Adam and everything since has just yeah, everything since has just him being like, am I a monster? Like- Oh, it's so annoying. Well, now somehow he's magically, I think we talked about this last episode, somehow he magically now has figured everything out. He knows who he is and stuff, but we never saw that. He like went away and did something. Girl, don't even get me started. (laughs) His dialogue was actually making my whole body cringe this episode. Like it it was, he was on some something. The dialogue was. (laughs) The the lithium battery. I just can't. I was like, what are you saying? And stop saying it right now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But anyway, all right. All that to say, I'm trying to find the fun, the good in each episode. And this episode has some amazing moments. I mean, don't speak Latin in front of the books. It's just a staple. It's hilarious. There's moments like this. We have significantly more Anya in this episode than we've had in any mm-hmm. other episode, maybe apart from the The wish. entire season. She's just been sitting here in the background, like re-watching the show and having to do the podcast. I'm like, oh my word, she is either just the shell of a character or she's just like a caricature, I guess the same thing. I don't know, caricature of like (sighs) what she's going to be because Mm -hmm. we know the direction of her character and it's so frustrating because I like the direction they eventually go with her. It's more interesting than what we've been getting this entire season. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they haven't been focusing very much on Xander. And right now she's Which, just like, Xander's yay, girlfriend. But like, don't, don't <laughs> like, what's it called? No, that's a different term. But like, when like a female character's arc is reliant on a man, it's like, can we not do that? Like, okay, I understand we don't have to focus on Xander as much, but she's her own character and she's a part of the Scooby Gang, right? Like, she's an ex demon. That's an interesting subplot. You could use that. At this point, Anya's character hasn't even passed the Bechtel test. Like, and she's been in for, like, a season. Like, please give her something. (laughs) And, I mean, I don't want to say that it's because she's a woman because they did this with Oz. They're doing it with Tara. It's not just all for the service of the male character. It's just the show's problem with the significant others. Um, I, again, don't really have a major problem with it because at this point, Emma Caulfield isn't, like, a main cast member either. She's just simply a reoccurring character. She's no better than Jonathan at this point. So again, it's okay, but I think that it's really fun that she has more lines in this episode. Um, So yeah, all that to say is I don't want to- We've gotten more out of Riley though. We haven't gotten much, but we got a crumb more out of Riley and he's been here less. 
Because Riley's a main cast member. Riley's in the credits. But she's been here an entire season, dog. Like, we got at least a little bit more out of Cordelia. Cordelia was in the main credits from the very beginning. Like, it, it depends Wasn't upon she how- she aside? No, she was in the credits from the very beginning. Seems like forever ago, to be honest, when she was on the show. I know, it does. We're like, <laughs> I mean, we were, this is our third year podcasting. It's been a while. We've been I doing this her. since the pandemic yeah. was like full on. Well, come on over to Angel. There's a lot of Cordelia. I'm Leia okay, will happily share, share with you because she does not like Cordelia. All right. So before we jump into the episode, though, I, I know we talked about this last time, but I just wanted to remind you all that you can now show your support to us by buying us a coffee. Or if you really want to be in the loop, you can join our membership tier. If you join our Scooby or our Slayer tiers, then you'll get access to our spoiler episodes, including a spoiler of this episode, Superstar. Dude, I'm actually so excited to be back with spoilers. Like, I think yes. that's the thing I'm the most excited about. I've missed Scooby Secrets. We also have like so many other side one like what, what, what would you call that side bonus episodes bonus episodes that we're gonna announce soon i'm excited for some of them we've brainstormed some and i think it'll be really fun yeah and if you join our tier you guys get to come in and vote on which ones you want to hear us talk about too really the sky's the limit we're not going to limit it to just vampire stuff i think we might do mm -hmm. some other fun stuff too while we're at it but yeah you guys definitely I mean, check it out if you want to. If not, it's okay. But we will definitely have this episode's spoiler section over there and then um, try and do spoilers as much as possible. And we'll be posting them on our off weeks over there. And then it's just, it's going to be so much fun. And there's a couple other stuff too. So check it out. I think it'll be worth your while. Um, but either way, guys, thanks so much for listening and for your support. Um, it really means a lot. And you guys mean the world to us. And it's been so fun hearing how excited people are that our spoiler section is coming back. And we love it. So I think it's going to be really fun to bring that back. All right. So season four, episode 17, Superstar, written by Jane Espenson, of course, directed by David Grossman and aired April 4th, 2000. Fantasies are fun, aren't they, Jonathan? Uh, I guess. We all have fantasies that we're powerful, more respected where people pay attention to us. But sometimes the fantasy isn't enough, is it, Jonathan? Sometimes we have to make it so people don't ignore us. Make them pay attention. Do you guys remember who said that and which episode that was? Wait, hold on. Didn't uh, Buffy say that oh, wait, in wait, Earshot? Wait. It's in Earshot, but it's not Buffy. It's uh, Willow. Yeah, when she's interrogating him. him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's actually two episodes that Willow interrogates Jonathan. I feel like the other one was I was like going to say the other one. It's Inca Mummy Girl. No, it's not Inca Mummy Girl. That's where we first no. see him. Let me see. Yeah, there's a there's another episode. I cannot remember which one. I feel um, like it's in season two. So is it oh Go Fish, right? Go Fish. Yeah. Yes. I oh, thought of it at the same time. Yep, go Locked fish. that one out. <laughs> Gosh. The worst Buffy verse episode. Yeah, where Willow was interrogating Jonathan mm -hmm. for two separate things. But I just think it's so interesting that it's possible, and I know we talked about this in our spoiler section, especially for Earshot. I think Willow planted this idea in Jonathan's head that, you know, we can make people pay attention to us. Noel Murray of the AV Club gave the episode a mixed review, stating so many big and small details are different in Jonathan's version of reality, and yet the significant elements of the season-long story arc are still in play. In my head, I can make sense of all of this, but I still can't help thinking that Superstar would have been better if it had been a true standalone episode with no link to the main storyline. And you know what? I kind of mm -hmm. agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think that's the weakest part of this episode is that it tries too hard. But it also takes you out of it. Like, it makes me not feel like it's actually real when, like, Adam comes in and stuff because then I'm like, oh, shoot. 
But also, Adam's just so pick me in this episode. He's like, this reality is not real. I'm the only one out of all of the creatures who like. like I'm like, okay, <laughs> Adam's. It's just like me. it for real. That's what that's what he's saying and doing in this episode. I'm just like, uh, and it was so random. Like I feel like every scene we've had with Adam is just shoehorned into the episode. Other than even though I didn't like it, other than like. Uh, goodbye, Iowa was the only time where I was like, okay, so I could I see what they're trying to do here. I don't really love it still, but I see what they're trying to do. Every other scene other than that one, I'm like, what is the point of view? After playing the role of Jonathan on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and playing other roles on several TV shows, including Gilmore Girls and Mad Men, which is crazy, Danny Strong made a career pivot to working behind the scenes as a writer and or producer of such movies as Recount, Game Change, and Lee Daniels, The Butler, and TV series, including Empire. Fun fact, too, Danny Strong actually wrote two of the Hunger Games movies, which is just crazy. What? Yeah. Which ones? Okay, so Danny Strong penned Mockingjay Part 1 and Mockingjay Part 2. Um, the stipulation was that Strong would move on to adapt the final film if the studio was happy with the treatment for the penultimate Part 1. And apparently they were, so he did Part 2, which is kind of cool. Our little Jonathan, all grown up. Um, he actually attended college with and co-starred in school stage pro productions with the guy who played Adam on the show and with the guy who plays Gun on Angel. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. On her DVD commentary, writer Jane Espenson said that just before the shooting started, actor Danny Strong was brought in for a full day of photo shoots to create all of the Jonathan-related props seen throughout the show, from basketball posters to Xander's trading card collections, various advertisements, and a full swimsuit calendar. Espenson said that Strong had not yet read the script or heard the premise, but the photo shoot made him think that, that it might require more of him than his usual background or secondary character participation in the show. Could you imagine coming in and having to do all this and not having read the script i would have been like um i think i need to read that now <laughs> it's just so much fun like it's funny thinking about how much stuff goes into it that you don't even notice like when you're watching the episode you're like haha that's funny and then you're like oh he had to come in for a photo shoot like that's so uh, funny uh, a full day of photos for just brand i mean it, when you watch this episode they really outdid themselves the props department because they're is tons of stuff everywhere that you look and it's all small and it's just fun every time you rewatch it because you'll pick up on something new and I think that just kind of adds to the charm of it all. Um, and we kind of discussed this earlier, but I think the biggest problem with this episode is that it doesn't incorporate the overall plot very well. Um, there's the one scene with Adam, the Adam schematics that pushes the story forward slightly, but this is the third episode that does barely anything with the main big bad. Passion the Nerd compares this episode with The Wish, which was also an alternate universe episode. The difference, he says, is that Giles' decision to destroy Anya's power center was grounded in a faith that things couldn't get any worse, and so the uncursed reality had to be better. On the other hand, Superstar requires the monster MacGuffin to motivate the return to reality. Without that, everyone actually seems pretty happy in the reality that they're in, maybe except for Buffy, but yeah. He goes on to say that although the spell hit everyone, it seems to hit them disproportionately. And I'm really curious about your guys' thoughts about this. So he says, Buffy loses her status not only as a slayer, but in the group. And then everyone makes fun of her and her abilities kind of disproportionately. He says it kind of reminds us of Jonathan. He says it's subtle, but read that way. Jonathan's spell feels partially like a punishment directed at Buffy for saving him and for the power she possesses. Do you guys agree with that interpretation? Do you feel like it reads as a punishment in some ways or no? I just feel like 
it's not so much that like Buffy is like punished, but I feel like people always view Buffy as like her being the Slayer is like this great honor. And so it's like when they take that away, it's like she's like nothing. Like like Buffy can only be mm. Buffy if she's a Slayer. Interesting. Oh, I don't see it like as a punishment. I see it more as like he's envied her um, mm-hmm. somewhat power in her situations. Um, because like even in the moment of like his weakness and wanting to take matters into his own hands and earshot, she was able to stop him not by her physical powers too, but also like her emotional ones as well. So I feel like there's just a whole part of Buffy being the slayer. Um, and everything that encompasses that, I think that he just kind of really envies. Um, so I kind of viewed it more as that he kind of stepping, he's stepping into the role of Buffy. And since Buffy is still technically the slayer in his made up universe, she's having this struggle of power with Jonathan. No, actually, I kind of agree with your interpretation tabs. I disagree with Passion the Nerd. I think that by Jonathan making himself the hero, Buffy will immediately get downgraded as a byproduct. I think that's just going to happen because mm-hmm. Buffy is the leader. She's the one that calls the shots. That's also like her entire role in the Scooby gang is to do that. And I think the very first scene with everybody, they were trying to show that Jonathan was kind of taking over everybody's roles by him outsmarting Giles, who is the brain, by him taking over Willow's hacking skills and, you know, as Willow's the spirit. Um, and then I guess I, he didn't really take over Xander, which is hilarious. But he has Xander's heart, you know, like Xander's all excited. And Xander, like, is shown to be kind of attracted to Jonathan the entire episode. It's interesting how a lot of the things that Buffy represented or how the gang revolved around Buffy, it all shifted to everybody revolving around Jonathan. And so it's going to make sense that Buffy's going to feel displaced. Um, and Tabs, I agree. I think by him you know, at the end of the day, ultimately doing the right thing. I don't think it's him trying to punish Buffy. I think it's just simply envy because he sees her as able to control her surroundings a little bit more. Other people love her because of what she does, but he's not thinking about the sacrifice that goes into it, you know? But I also feel like if he really wanted to punish Buffy, he has apparently ties with every single important person in Sunnydale to make up some lie about having her go in jail. But the fact that, yeah. like, again, it's more of, like, him being Buffy, but he still looks up to her, so he still wants her around. So the fact that he's part of the Scooby gang as the leader, but Buffy still there really says something. So I think he likes Buffy, and a part of him is, like, kind of, he, like, looks up to her, but also wants to not be her in like a weird way but like like be her and be what she stands for and having that power if that makes sense yeah totally Markfield writes, Jonathan's spell here is certainly consistent with the season theme that others try to force you into becoming a different person than you are. In this case, Jonathan got tired of the identity he felt others forced on him and decided to push back. He ended up trying to force others to conform to him. There's no doubt that what he did was wrong. An authentic self isn't constructed out of thin air. It's the process of a lifetime of work, as Buffy tells him. And that's why we see the repeated theme of Buffy and even Jonathan telling Buffy, hey, it's a lot of hard work and stuff. The idea that to live responsibly and to live authentically is hard because you first have to learn about yourself. And that's kind of what Adam hints at in this episode as well. Wow. Look, Adam actually had a purpose in this episode. What in the world? I mean, he didn't need to be in here, but at least it kind of sort of tied in versus him being all like, I have decided my purpose is to kill all living things. And you're like, okay, thank you. Next. 
Alrighty, superstar. I just keep thinking that Taylor Swift song the whole time I've been watching watch this episode. It actually is like I should just make a a TikTok of it. I don't know or something because it's like exactly what this episode. Uh, everyone's viewpoint is Taylor looking at Jonathan and the song "Superstar" by Taylor Swift. So we start out in the graveyard patrolling. I just am like, thank God. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, mm-hmm. all of like <laughs> the first seasons have started out in patrolling, and it's just it it's a staple of the like the Buffy universe. Buffy episodes yeah. to start out in the graveyard. Like I just like it's comfy, it's cozy. I love it. Also, this is the first time this season that they all have gone patrolling together, and mm-hmm. this is the first time Anya's ever patrolled with them. So I feel like this is a momentous mm-hmm. occasion. Also, Sarah Michelle Gellar's hair has never looked this good ever. This episode, she's had every single scene. Her hair looks flawless. Like it's so it's very gorgeous. shiny, especially when it's like up and that little like flirty ponytail with like little clip when she's talking to Jonathan later in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Love it. Anyway. Yep. But also it's very curly and wavy, which means she's not going to be fully herself. Yeah. She's under a spell. So the Scooby gang runs into what they call a vamp orgy. I was like, dang, we've never seen something like this <laughs> in the show. Like I – again, there's so many parts of this episode – because I haven't seen this episode in, in like years on years and years because I always skip it in my review review my um rewatches because i'm like okay it's one of those episodes that's only really interesting the first time you watch it not that i just like the episode it's just kind of like a waste of 45 minutes for me personally um mm-hmm. i did not remember this i was like damn it like i'm actually surprised we haven't seen stuff like this because i really feel like vamps themselves are incredibly dark and the only time we really see that much darkness in vamps is through like angel or spike and so i feel like just casually seeing vamps like all feasting on like a corpse i'm like i'm surprised we haven't seen this it was very it was very graphic but also yeah. i think we're all kind of like de- not desensitized but like we're not used to this much we're not used to vampires feeding yeah because this season has been about like stupid true, robots actually, and so there's been true. like no gore nothing yeah. pretty much I'm for like, a while trigger a warning I even though this is so normal throw us right back into genre. the deep end here yeah. <laughs> And the sucking down sounds were so it was loud very this episode. Loud. <laughs> was it was like, very oh my loud. Gosh. I was like, this is so triggering. Not blaming Buffy for just turning around and be like, you know, I'm problem for another <laughs> day. <laughs> we'll let them finish first. It's too dirty dead. Yeah. Yeah. Then we'll go get them after their their mouths yeah. are wiped. <laughs> I feel like even just like the shot at the beginning of this episode, you could already tell it's gonna be a filler episode. I you know how you could just sense it, dude. They're like, we need to bring in forces. And then all of a sudden it's like mansion, Jonathan. And you're like, ah, okay. Understood. The, I know where this episode is going. Well, I mean, just the fact that Buffy is not herself and that she's not like I'm like I'm pretty sure Buffy has attacked a ton of vampires at once. Like this is yeah. nothing to her. So you're immediately clued into mm, this doesn't see, this doesn't feel right, you know? Um, mm-hmm. okay, so this moment right here where they walk in and they have Jonathan. So we have like the bond music playing, and music mm-hmm. sound and silence has this really interesting quote. They say, in the teaser and altered opening credits, oh yeah, we didn't talk about the credits, how they changed. And Joss is like completely gaslighting the entire Buffy verse, being like, Yeah, Jonathan's been here the entire time. The show is actually called Jonathan the Vampire Slayer. Um, is just 
absolutely gaslighting us. It's top tier. I like how they fully lean into it though. Uh-huh. Like they didn't yeah. just try to subtly do it. They like slam it in your face. It's so yeah. funny. I love when shows like they're uh, with a title sequence or whatever that is a little like theme or whatever. Yeah, it's title sequence. It's, mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. I I just kept <laughs> thinking of like the ending of um the title sequence of Beneath the Verb and I was like, am I thinking that correctly? Um, but uh, when shows like change it up for special occasions, I love that. Mm-hmm. Like How Much Mother does a couple of them and then yes. Psych does so many of them. And I just oh, love I that. Psych. Psych's a good show. Okay, but Music Sound and Silence says, in the teaser and altered opening credits, he meaning Jonathan, he is visually and musically coded as one of his idols, James Bond, through the retro-sounding spy cord and brass stab. His image of suave sophistication is identified with the actor we later discovered to be his favorite Bond, Roger Moore. And he is also ironically figured visually as Angel in the altered credits for the episode, wearing the long duster coat identified with the final shot of the Angel credits. However, the teaser also functions to tell us that all is not right in this world through the generic horror strings and overhead shots as the Scoobies approach his desk. And then Jonathan swings round in a manner more reminiscent of the baddie Blofeld than Bond. You know, the classic swinging rounds, the bad guy says, welcome, or so glad you're here, or I knew you would arrive, or whatever. Here, the sound and image work in counterpoint to each other for an audience informed by the popular cultural references of generic horror and Bond films. So, I mean, there's it's it's really very clear as the audience member, you're like, this something's wrong. If Buffy needs Jonathan's help, like this is not fit who Jonathan is. So it's not like it doesn't take genius to figure out what's going on, but I love like the little subtle cues to him being the villain of the episode. So we see the gang, including Jonathan, train in the house. And you know what I love my, about myself is I'll be watching an episode and I'm like writing down notes <laughs> and I won't go into detail thinking I'll remember exactly <laughs> what is <laughs> happening. <laughs> and I almost never do. It'll come up. It'll come to me when we start talking. But I just put, I just put sometimes I get too lazy by writing out people's names. So I'll just put like the first letter because luckily they all have different first letters. Um but I put like X mansplaining and I don't remember what he is mansplaining. So can y'all like remember what he was trying to say in this so, scene? So, okay. So Anya's pouring herself cereal. It's Johnny O's, which is hilarious. Um, and Xander is practicing the steak, like the quick draw with the steak. And so he's like, the quick draw is about more than speed. It's also about pointing the steak the right <laughs> way. And there can be splinter issues. It's a true text of de- dexterity. And Anya's not even listening. She's like, can you open this milk carton, please? <laughs> and then he's like, no, I tear it. And it goes all sloshy. And then keeps practicing with the steak. And she's left to try and open the milk carton. <laughs> oh, man. I was clearly trying to like grab for anything in this episode. <laughs> I was okay. like, I don't just lean in on the was. funny stuff. Lean in the <laughs> funny real. stuff. Um, Buffy thanks Jonathan for helping, and then they just like randomly start sparring as they're talking. I'm like, so okay. cringy. <laughs> yeah. It's and like then, very cringy. Well, and then like Jonathan's like, oh, I can find a way in, finds it out immediately and starts being like, okay, you're going to come in this way. You're going to do that. Like starts giving off like all these stations and everything. Everyone's like, sounds A-OK to me. And then he just like walks over sachet is over to the chessboard and is like mansplains his one move to, to Giles saying that he wins and then everyone's like in awe and then they, he just like walks out. I genuinely think it's pretty interesting how when you see people put in the position that Buffy is normally they kind of get power hungry like mm. Jonathan is so 
desiring a power role. Like he wants to be mm-hmm. the leader. He wants to be seen as the leader. He wants to be good at everything. And Buffy is just so the opposite. She is leader by by definition and by that's what her role is, but not because she wants to. It's out of obligation, not desire. And I just, the difference is so clear, but it's also so important because the show would not be what it was if Buffy really desired to always be the leader. I also think it's really funny because everybody is okay with Jonathan taking over their role in a way. Like Giles is just like, oh, wow, that's a fascinating chess move. Let me like write that down. And then Willow was like, oh, yes. Oh, that's amazing that you got into the back door that I couldn't even – like no one's like really bummed about the fact that he just like upstaged them except for Buffy. Mm -hmm. But it's not done in a – she's like, oh, man, I wanted to be the leader like you just said, Leah. It was more of like a – man, I, I don't know what I'm good at. And like, she's very insecure and mm-hmm. she's lacking confidence in this episode. Um, But the funny thing is, is that Jonathan's plan about using a decoy, like or Buffy's plan was to use a decoy. And then Jonathan says, no, I have a better idea, but he still makes Buffy the decoy. Like he still kind of uses a bit of Buffy's plan, um, which I thought was an interesting thing. And that's just kind of like a testament to SMG's acting is because I didn't see it as like, I'm jealous jealous like woe is me it's more of like you said like it like a lack of confidence and like a bit of like not knowing your place and that's just the subtlety of her acting back in the crypt you kind of see their plan coming coming to head they'll have their stations and this was kind of fun to see them all kind of like throwing around vampires staking um we see buffy kind of like struggling to dust one of them gets away um and i find it interesting that jonathan uses a crossbow and like this made-up world that he's i guess yeah like made up you'd think that he would kind of give himself a little bit more powers but this makes me kind of like question if he does have powers or if everyone else's minds Mm. are changed because if he did wouldn't he be doing like these like campy flips and like like getting in there dirty by like staking them like he's still kind of like a little bit clumsy he's like but everyone views him as like this god he's just having the crossbow striking a pose and then dusting them from afar he does flips at the end of the episode so i think he actually is strong because like he altered reality this is supposed to be a different reality or a different universe from the other one like it it was it like he actually changed past events and stuff too um i kind of wanted him to be a little bit more like you know what i mean like if you're gonna go there this episode's gonna be camp then like go there go there you know what i mean sure yeah that's fair um and then like uh, the music in this scene is just funny to me it kind of reminds me of the incredibles for some reason it's um, the james bond spy theme yeah uh-huh. or like just like when like mr incredible is getting like his uh confidence back and like training that's mm-hmm. the music that i can it just sounds like that to me um he has this whole like heart talk with buffy being like good job champ you did amazing <laughs> like bops her under the chin yeah, <laughs> yeah way to go scamp and then they walk out into like the graveyard and there's like paparazzi just taking pics while they're talking everyone's just ignoring it and then Jonathan just – I will say this this random gag that just happens a couple times in the episode where, like, <laughs> Spike comes up and they have this whole, like, uh, you know, funny interactions and, like, speeches with each other just crack me up. But he, like, senses Spike. And there's, like, Western music every time. He's like, don't you agree, Spike? And it's like, don't, uh-huh. no, no. It's like, oh, boy, what are we going to have, like, the good, the so bad, the good. ugly here? <laughs> I know. That to be, like, on a standoff or whatever it's called. 
and they circle each other too i was like that's funny like them just like toggling it's very very western and i've only seen like three in my life didn't really like any of them but i will say like it's very uh very on the nose and i've only seen enough of them to like really understand like but it's like this is the same formula western is a very scripted genre it doesn't really um doesn't really go that far off the beaten path. <laughs> yeah. It has its few tropes and cliches and it sticks pretty Only hard to sticks them. By that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My favorite part is Spike doesn't remember Buffy's name. He calls her Betty. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And then Jonathan's like, don't forget he's a, a dangerous demon. And they're all like, oh, you're so right. And then Buffy's like stammering with insults. You're the worst type of scum. There actually was um, a couple of lines that were deleted from the script. So after Jonathan like gives his speech, you're the worst type of scum. And the second you're back to your old tricks, well, let's just say before you even sniff out your first victim, you'll be pretty indistinguishable indistinguishable from, oh, what should we say? Instant soup mix. And everybody's like, oh, like that's so cool. And I'm like, instant soup mix. <laughs> like us as the audience, we're like, we see this for what it is. For sure. Um, and so this was this was the part that was left out. Spike calls after, you're a bleeding idiot. You are, Jonathan, because you'll be the first victim and you'll be stone dead before you hit the ground. And then it says, then to himself proudly, the worst kind of scum. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, they should have kept that in. Cut out all of Karen's lines and then kept that in. <laughs> Karen? <laughs> okay, but how hilarious is it that Tara and Willow in this next scene, two lesbians are creating a shrine for jonathan dude i i audibly laughed because i didn't realize that they were like what they were doing and i don't remember that at all and then i was like oh that's good that's really funny i just like and i know i've talked about this a couple times but what i find comedy gold is like when you're mixing both like a physical comedy with a good dialogue and so like if there's a really emotional part and then a character is doing something funny while it's also emotional is really funny to me. Or like, I don't know, it's like when you can hit multiple beats at the same time. But this one was really special because you don't know what they're doing and you don't – it's like one of those aha moments. You're like looking back and you're like, oh, that's funny this entire time. They're putting up it, and I didn't recognize that they were they're like, like cutting it out. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Like it's there's a lot of thought Very that went funny. into this, and it's in their room. But then too. also <laughs> having a good like conversation at the same time, like and the, and what makes it so funny is the fact that they don't even like acknowledge the fact it's so normal to them that they're putting up pictures of Jonathan because they're yeah they're not a, even like, talking about what they're doing they're just yeah. like doing it and like, like it's an yeah, understanding sure. of this is normal <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> that's very funny um I will say I really love like we haven't seen like Willow and Tara obviously they're not out yet but I love that we've seen just how comfortable and how good communication they have because they're since they're not out it's only really ever been like a to use Tara's term like theirs or ours or whatever so it's like they are able to kind of build up this like safe space with each other and so like like we've seen this a couple times where um it'll jump over to like Willow or Tara's room and they'll be talking about Willow be talking about and kind of like discussing with Tara what we just went over and maybe the episode before or like everything so um and of course Tara is so intuitive and very observant and she's just like how is Buffy doing um and then Will kind of answers very like she doesn't quite understand what Tara is specifically asking at first and then 
Terry kind of like asks again. She could have just let it go. She's like, no, like, I mean, like, because of the face stuff. And Tara's just, she just screams empath to me. Like, she's just mm-hmm. such a sweetheart. And she has just met Buffy and she's like asking her about it. And like, they kind of have this really good heart to heart, which just makes it funnier because then it's like, again, we said this, but it just like cuts to like them putting up Jonathan. I'm like, genius. What a genius <laughs> scene. But it's also funny to me that like Jonathan's spell did not take like, sexuality gender (laughs) nothing into consideration like he literally because i mean even xander's obsessed with him and xander's only had inclination towards women and so it's like it's just so funny to me that like his spell was like i literally don't care who you are who you're attracted to i don't care about any of that you need to be obsessed with me like yeah it's just so funny that he was like i don't care if you're whatever you are you need to be in love with me (laughs) passion the nerd had a really great line where he was like a Jonathan Speld made two lesbians straight and one straight man uh, gay for him. <laughs> yep. Then we see after that conversation kind of a switch into Riley's room. And then I oh. just feel like, I mean, this whole, <laughs> whole scene is so uncomfortable. But it's supposed to show that like obviously Buffy and Riley haven't really communicated since – faith um and i think it's a very interesting choice to have riley be shirtless in the room and then them not touch and they clearly are just like it's it's a little bit on the nose because we've never seen him shirtless just casually but it's supposed to be like oh look here's a temptation of him walking around shirtless and buffy doesn't want it because she is going through a lot of trauma but it's like okay but what about Riley here you know i don't know like, <laughs> i he sits down she stands up I just wrote in my notes, Angel's shirtless felt natural. Like every time he was in the room, like you noticed he was shirtless. It was every like, scene. You were, you were more <laughs> – That's why it was that natural. Was his natural environment. <laughs> He's yeah. drowning shirtless. Makes sense. <laughs> okay. So with the exception of my co-star over on Investigating Angel, Leia, who I swear if Angel is shirtless or wearing a wife beater, she kind of just doesn't notice what else is happening in the scene, which is really funny. It's like a, a serious thing. But she's so like, real for that. I feel like with this or like anytime I watched Angel shirtless, like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, wow. He's like, you know, he's sexy and he looks great. But I am always t- like taken by the way David Boreanaz plays Angel. Like I'm not distracted as much by by the shirtlessness as I am just understanding what's going on, like all his facial expressions and stuff. That felt natural. With Riley – I was distracted the entire time and not in a good way. I was just like, please put on a shirt. Please put on a shirt. Well, it's because it's supposed to be – it's uncomfortable. That's why. Because they're not – it's the tension is not sexual tension. It's because they're uncomfortable around each other. That's why it feels out of place. Okay. I just kind of hate that this scene is is shown in this episode. Like it almost makes me feel like – they're making like a making light of the situation that happened with yeah Faith and Buffy and Riley and it's like there's nothing light about that like mm-hmm. it just needed to be addressed in such a serious way that i feel like it doesn't fit this episode like fitting something so heavy mm-hmm. in this episode just feels out of place and it feels wrong and it just doesn't feel like we we got the emotional depth that we should have in an episode like this because it couldn't give it to us. That's a good point, Leah. And I actually, when we get to it, I have some things to say about one of the ways that I feel like they could have fixed it and they really did an awful job with it. Um, But I think them having this moment in the bedroom was intentional because this is the same room where Riley had sex with Faith, where we heard Riley tell who he thought was Buffy that he loved her. 
Um, and it's also where we left them in the last episode. So it's intentional. Um, but I I don't know that we necessarily needed this because I think that we all kind of knew where like it's it's right where we left off. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. But there's I think there's bigger problems in the episode. So we will we'll wait till we get to that. Um, and then the scene ends with Buffy accidentally hitting Riley where his wound is apparently still healing, question mark. Oh, mm, that's a metaphor if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, ah, sorry. And then she leaves. That's exactly what the scene sounded like. Thank you. You guys are welcome. <laughs> Daffy. Daffy's like, I just am like, sometimes I just really proud of myself. <laughs> just really love myself. There. Doesn't even <laughs> elaborate. <laughs> And scene. All right. But I think also the the pointed choice to make Buffy insecure in this episode, not just about a relationship with Riley, but with like her ability, like she's a slayer, but that she can't do what she needs to do. I think they intentionally made Buffy more insecure than they needed to with Jonathan taking over because it was supposed to be a, rep- a representation of Buffy being insecure about her and Riley. And so you'll notice once her and Riley repair i say very loosely and with quotations their relationship after they have that one dance um you have (laughs) uh you notice that buffy starts to figure out that jonathan is um like that he's casting a spell like she starts to put two and two together and i think that goes to show that buffy her emotions like we've talked about it her emotions are incredibly tied to her slang and so once she's no longer distracted by that she can kind of focus on the other things that are you know just as important or i would say more important but you know Mm -hmm. try not to slander riley too much and then we see buffy and jonathan besties in the cafeteria oh my gosh sarah michelle Gellar is so pretty in this scene her hair i cannot so gorgeous the specific blonde that she has is just like golden looking like it's just so pretty pretty. Mm mm-hmm um, <laughs> the script says, note, in this and other scenes with extras, a few of them will be wearing t-shirts that say things like, Jonathan on tour 1997. My parents mm-hmm. met Jonathan and all I got was this lousy t-shirt and Jonathan a palooza and I survived the 5K Jonathan, John, Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan. <laughs> That's funny, actually. <laughs> Buffy is like confiding in Jonathan. Um, everything just kind of like flies out. She's like, it's all Faith's fault. And I feel like he's pretty insightful here. He's like, maybe you're angry at Riley because when it counted, he didn't know it was you. And I'm like, oof. Mm-hmm. Like, she's so real for that. Like, <laughs> I'd be mad too, even though it's not fair. I'd be so pissed. Like, you didn't know it was me. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that Buffy's, like, her hurt is incredibly valid because yeah. imagine any normal person. You know in your head, like, there's no way that he's possibly going to know, but it still hurts. It still stings, you know? And I think that's, yeah, like, that's valid. But also, can I be real about something, too? Always. And I know I'm taking every opportunity to crap on Riley here, but, like, let's just okay, <laughs> let's just think about this for a second. Like, for real, okay? If you've never said I love you to your significant other, you really have to feel out the vibes when you say it. So yeah. I'm also mad at Riley. Because it's like, not only did he, it's not, he didn't meet, he didn't, I don't blame him for having sex with Buffy slash Faith because he didn't know. That's not what I'm mad at. Right. I'm more mad at the fact that he, in the moment, looked into Faith's eyes as Buffy 
felt that the vibes were in a clicky, we're connecting soul. Like, this is the moment I tell you I love you. Mm. I'd be more upset upset at the fact that, like, I'm like, damn, I mean, I don't know if she, if she knows that he said I love you, but we know that. So it's like, I'm mad at Riley for the fact that, like, clearly you would don't know how to read the room really well <laughs> like you your, girlfriend your girlfriend doesn't well. seem you like exactly like your girlfriend doesn't seem like herself and usually when it's like you have this good soul connection it's not just like after you have sex they've had sex several but probably so many times at this point it's like <laughs> it, it you know what i mean like it, it, there's supposed to be moments yeah. of like Especially the way that Faith looked like she was going to have sex didn't seem like a whole soul connection sort of having sex. It felt like more of like <laughs> yeah. a bang. How do you want so me? Does why, it feel like a soul connection exactly, to why me? Why would you feel like that's the moment to tell your girlfriend you love them after like an aggressive – Come on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like – it's just – ooh, like why, why is that the moment, you know? Both sides are valid because like Riley was violated. Riley was hurt and violated and – he had his his like freedom taken away from him. He had no idea that that was in Buffy. And I don't fault him for that. On the opposite end, Buffy is absolutely valid for being frustrated because it's 100%. like how would you not know like yeah, she looked like me, but it's like she didn't really act like me. Like shouldn't you mm-hmm. shouldn't you know? Like if cuz like there's just so many things where it's like even if it was like a twin like, I think of that as, like, okay, well, can you tell twins apart if you're in love with one of them? Like, do you constantly get them mixed up? No, because their personalities are different. You can tell when it's someone who's different. But then it's also, like, Riley didn't know that he was put in that position. It's just super muddled. But I think that both are 100% in the right to be frustrated. Yeah, yeah. I And, and I could see how this exact scenario would come across because there's Riley trying to do everything he can to reassure his girlfriend that he cares about her and loves her. I mean, he told her he loved her for Pete's sake and like, we'll have that conversation in a second. Um, but then there's, there's Buffy over there who's going, you know, I'm going to be compared with Faith and Buffy's feeling insecure because of everything with Faith and stuff too. I mean, cause it's the other slayer. So, I mean, yeah, totally valid on both sides. And, but then Jonathan's over here like, to Buffy. Sure. I mean, you have this amazing connection with him. And then at the one moment when it matters most, he looks into your eyes and he doesn't even see it's not you looking back at him. And I'm like, do they though? Like in a show that has magic, do they actually have a connection if he looks at her and doesn't see that it's her? If it was a normal show, sure. Like I could, I could buy it. But in this show, in a show that we've seen pull off some amazing romantic connections, I don't know, man. I don't know. All this stuff just could have had a good amount of space in an episode that was a lot more heavy hitting. Um, but then to kind of squeeze all this half acidly into an episode that's about like a side random character that's not even a real universe, it's just kind of like, okay, like, can we actually give some time and effort to this? Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Now here's Karen with a K over here. Not a C. <laughs> not not Karen with a C. Not Karen with a C H. It's Karen speaking with a K. The, wait, wait. Speaking of the Incredibles, remember the um? It's Carrie with the C. Carrie. It's hi. I'm Carrie. <laughs> I'm so um, confused for the car. <laughs> Your son is acting really strange. Wait, what? what Kari. It? It's Kari with the K. Hi, this is Kari. <laughs> oh no, the, the the ending one where she's like, "Sorry about all those voicemails." Your friend came in really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's like, sounds so like- relieved at the very end. 
<laughs> Honestly, it's me leaving voice messages to Andrew. When are you coming home from work? Your daughter is terrorizing me again. <laughs> anyway. I like that he pulls up. She's like, why do you have uh, S on there? And he's like, it's for sitter. sitter. Because, you know, <laughs> you can be babysitter. Then you have a big BS and, you know, that wouldn't go over well. <laughs> <laughs> Only adults understand that. <laughs> ah. Oh, man. I, I need to rewatch that movie. That and the second one. Whew. Okay. Back to back to Karen with a K. <laughs> And then, like, as soon as she hands it back, she just stands there for, like, a good minute just reading it. That was the funny part. Uh, I'd be like, okay, you can read that elsewhere. Uh, okay, so my biggest beef with this scene, and I I mean, I just mentioned it, but, like, Jonathan again says to Buffy saying, how do I get past it? What if all this, after all this Riley doesn't want me anymore. And Jonathan says, he does. It may not be easy, Buffy, but you guys are special together. That's worth a little hard work. And this is another example of the show telling us that Buffy and Riley are good together or that they should be together or that they love each other. I just don't buy it. And so it's really hard in this moment to take it seriously. And okay, so this conversation wasn't so bad. And it wouldn't be so bad if we didn't have Jonathan also talking to Riley a scene or two later because that what this episode is missing, severely missing, is we needed to see Buffy and Riley talking about this and working it out together. And the writers went for humor rather than actual substance. Um, and so it feels like they had Jonathan as a buffer so they didn't have to have this really in-depth conversation from them. And I, I think Riley and Buffy suffered for it. I think if they had done this well, people might have actually liked Riley and Buffy together after this. I agree. I think that part of the reason why their relationship never really feels like it fully has that grip is because they don't have the tough conversations. They don't have the tough moments because it's just kind of glazed over. Yeah, they needed to work through this 100%. And it would have gone a long way in helping us connect with them more as individuals and as a couple. Um, and they could also talk about how equally traumatized they both were. And we could have a little bit of healing and working through the awful stuff that happened. And But they actively go out of their way to have them not talk in this episode, which is really strange. Like Buffy even saying, no, I don't want to talk. Must we talk? Like all this stuff. And I don't really know why they chose to do that. It's very, very odd. Uh, we should just put us in the writer's room. Yeah, seriously. Um, so in the initiative, I will say the scene was very funny. Other than him talking to Riley, I was like, hey, okay, pointless. But like, like they, they set up this whole like, but it's also shot very differently. Like there's this long table that you see in like those Star Wars movies where they're looking at like the galaxy and they figure out their plans. You know those Star Wars movies? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean like that. I love Star Wars. Um, but like in every single one of the, the OG ones, they're always like every single one of them is like surrounded by like this like, uh, you know. galaxy table thing and it's all 3d and then they're like you know it's like i was like seeing that and then it's like commander and then they're all like in a long line like it just was shot very differently from the initiative and i was like what in the world and again i couldn't remember all the details of this episode so when jonathan comes out why is it a surprise to me i don't know but then (laughs) graham's one line he kills me we need more out of him thank god freaking whatever his name i literally forced wasn't in this one yeah, thank God. But Jonathan's like, finally, we bring out the big guns. I was like, that's funny. Because <laughs> he was yeah, these so two serious. Massive men. <laughs> About time and we Jonathan's brought out the big just, guns. like a lot shorter. It's just so funny to me. Um, and then he like, he like drops this huge, apparently it's a big bomb. 
I don't know. They're like, he doesn't eat. You're like, okay, but he's robots. So like, why can't we put two and two together about that, you know? Um, and he's like, okay, cutting off his head won't matter. Like, there's got to be bigger – there are other ways of killing him. And I'm like, okay. <sighs> so we're not scared of him. So we have to kind of like add these things to make him seem scarier, even though it's not scary at all. So I'm like, okay. Well, they, so they have to add a way in order for Buffy to defeat him. So apparently he has uranium-235 like in his chest cavity. And if you remove that, he'll die. Um, but they are not sure how to do that. Like they talk about how long will it last and like, you know, it's going to happen forever. That means like nothing, like cutting off his head, stabbing him, whatever is not going to actually hurt him. You have to get the uranium out. I agree with Tabby. I think that there's, they, they try to make us so scared of Adam and just realistically, he's not scary. It's like, I look at him and I know Buffy's going to defeat him. Like, I don't know what. I can't give any like realistic advice to like this would have made him scarier. They shouldn't have done this, but it's just like I just look at him and I'm like, I know you're going to be defeated by the end of the season. Like, and I didn't know that with Angel or with Faith or with the Master, but like with Adam, I look at him and I'm like, she's defeated worse on non-villain episodes, like on mm-hmm. regular episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I think because he's so clearly a patriarchal symbol too and they've made him so one-dimensional. If there was an emotional impact and connection with anybody else on a deeper level, then you would be like, oh, man, like what happens? Is there going to be any fallout if she does kill him? Like what's going to happen? And it actually makes you start to worry. Um, But with Adam, if he dies, the world continues to go around. So it's like, of course, Mm -hmm. Buffy's going to defeat him. Yep. Okay. Back at the initiative, Jonathan and Riley have this like half-assed heart-to-heart. And then Riley has this like – supposed to be the light bulb moment where he's like, I never thought about Buffy being insecure by the fact that I might compare her subconsciously to Faith. Like, come on, Riley. You're not dumb. You're not stupid. Is he, though? though? I don't want to believe that. Because, my gosh, wouldn't that be the first thing you think of? I should reassure them that I love them and that I'm not thinking about Faith when I want to have sex with them now. Come on. This is like relationship 101. Like, for real. It's just they make Riley seem so out of touch with Buffy's emotions that it just makes us be like, why are you together? Are you guys? Yeah, why are you together if you're so out of touch with her emotions? And then he says she knows she's the one I I care about. So I'm like, no, clearly not because it was not even Buffy oh, that you so said you can I say love, I love you, you to Faith, and then you can't even say I love you to someone that's not even Buffy. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, I need to like move on. Personally, I find this scene icky. This needed to be with Buffy, and icky. it feels icky watching Jonathan talk to Riley about something so personal when he hadn't asked Buffy if he could talk to Riley. Or talk I don't know. To, it just – Yeah. Airing just out their information for sure. Even though like – Well, it, especially the irony, the fact that Jonathan is taking all their memories and their identities without their consent, and here he is talking to Buffy and Riley about getting over their issues yeah. with, you know, have, being assaulted. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple moments in this episode where I'm like – <laughs> that's not okay i know it's supposed to be like haha funny he but it's like wait a minute can we actually like focus on this for a second like i don't want to get to one in a second but um yeah. and i okay, know so, so we- many people are like oh gosh you should just like sometimes it's fun to just have an episode to laugh at and it's like you know you shouldn't take it so seriously and i agree like there are you can still do that with moments in this episode but i think it is important like what we do is critical analysis we're going to analyze this episode. We're going to say this is funny. But there's also moments where it's like this is problematic, you know? Okay. Um, can I can I say something real? Oh, actually, I'm going to save that for 
a season later. Or a, um, not season. I'll say that for next season. season. <laughs> Dang girl. I was like, what are we talking about here? Next scene. Okay. Anyway, okay. We go to the bronze and then Jonathan is singing like this jazzy song. And as we know, we have mentioned in, in like a while ago that this is not Danny Strong's voice. This is the guy who played Aladdin. And mm-hmm. I could definitely hear it. I was like, street rat, that's you. Yeah, a street rat, that's you. <laughs> um, yes, this is Brad Kane. He also he played Tucker Wells in the prom. He was the bad guy there. He's gonna be the brother of somebody else later on. Um, he also was a part of Girl Talk with Sarah Michelle Geller when they were kids, um, and then did the singing voice for Aladdin, all three films. Um, and I actually have another I thought I knew everything there was to know about this guy. I actually created a video all about him on our TikTok. You guys can check that out. And I thought I knew everything there was about this guy. There's actually another fun fact that is spoilery and I can't share it here. So you guys have to come back next week for the spoiler section oh, to hear it because nice. it is good. And Dang, I can't Sarah just had wait. a shameless plug, bro. <laughs> I mean, come on. I the wait. fame has changed us. It's changed you, Sarah. <laughs> I've sold out to the man, you guys. (laughs) No, but seriously, I mean, I'll probably put it in like the notes on Instagram and stuff too, but it's pretty fun and I can't wait to hear you guys' reaction. So anyway, moving on. Um, I love how in the bronze we kind of like see like Anya and Xander having an argument because Anya apparently moaned Jonathan's name in bed. That is so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead. Um, and then we have Buffy and Riley being all weird, kind of talking about their relationship. Clearly, there's stuff in their relationship they need to talk about, but yada, yada, yada. I'm not talking about their relationship. Yeah. What is this? Um, um, there actually was a whole line here that was cut out where Buffy says, Riley, I think, and then it says she chickens out. And then she goes, Willow's having a good time. And then Riley says, uh-huh, I haven't really talked much to her friend yet. And Buffy says, Tara, she's nice kind of shy Riley says uh-huh but instead they had them like barely talk um so Jonathan dedicates the next song to Buffy and Riley says that there's something special between them they're going through a hard time Riley asks Buffy to dance they go and slow dance and then Riley apologizes to Buffy Buffy kind of like stops him before she finishes and says I know blah 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 apparently everything's good between them um Jonathan uh. plays sax um and then Anya's like want to go have sex and Zetter's like uh-huh and then they just like weave themselves out of the crowd which is just so funny there's a line cut from Tara and Willow Tara says looks like the crisis is over when they see Buffy and Riley dancing and Willow says good thing finding new boyfriends for her is exhausting I don't know if I've got another one in me <laughs> us too girly us too um uh, poor Karen all like bloodied up comes in um and then jonathan sees immediately stops the band rushes down to her and then we cut to the mansion and i love how like the police come in and then they're like oh you got it jonathan sounds good see you later <laughs> like this is the first time we've seen the police like in like i feel like seasons the entire season and the fact that they just like pop up and then they just like skedaddle as soon as jonathan's you know- like everything's good here the police don't show up for everyone losing their voices in hush. But as soon as Jonathan has one girl on his property uh-huh. that has an issue, they show up. Classic. Karen describes the monster and then mentions a mark on the forehead of the beast. Um, and then they kind of write it down. Jonathan clearly dismisses it. And then you could tell the Buffy is very cute and immediately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is like this is when Buffy starts to notice things, and it's after her and Riley have made up, showing that 
Buffy is like they're marrying the two insecurities of Buffy, like showing that once she's no longer insecure about Riley, now she's no longer insecure about this. And it it really is not a great connection, but it's there in the episode. It is there. It is present. We are making a note of it. It exists. Moving on. <laughs> we acknowledge it. Um, and then this most random episode, like I-, I keep mixing up my terms, random scene literally ever in the history of scenes is just like, where is this, first of all? Okay. So I actually have a couple things to say about this scene. Okay. So this is the library. Um, and fun fact, the actor who plays Jape, which is the name of this vampire, <laughs> um, he, he's played by Rob Benedict, who is best known for playing Chuck and God in Supernatural. I actually have. I've never watched Supernatural. No. Okay. Well, I know the if guy you watched, who plays uh, Dean is in it. The guy who plays Dean is in it? From Gilmore From Girls. From Gilmore right? Girls. Uh, I'm bummed you guys haven't seen that. Okay. Well, he's a really big actor in there. And yeah, so this is this is him. Well, want want. Someone out there understands. Someone knows. Um, okay, also, this whole scene is just thrown in there so that we're reminded that Adam is still here, yawn. Um, but I will say, Adam's line where he says, I'm aware, I know every molecule of myself and everything around me. No one, no human, no demon has ever been as awake and alive as I am. The interesting thing is Buffy is also shown in this episode to be self-aware, like Adam. She recognizes that something is out of place in this universe and then is able to discover that is an alternate reality or an alternate universe. Markfield says, a real adult sees through the efforts of others to impose their identity on us and finds her own authentic identity. Buffy was the first to realize Jonathan's Jonathan's deception because deep down she knows her true self. She is self-aware. Riley says so later. She sees things that other people don't. And it's because Buffy is secure with who she is. And so she's starting to recognize this is not who I am. Like even at the beginning of the episode when Jonathan says, you tried your best. She goes, I don't think that was my best. Like Buffy innately knows herself. And so she senses when something is wrong. I think she was just distracted by Riley. So I thought the parallels between her and Adam were, again, they're there. I don't know why they're there, but they're making a, a parallel between them. Classic having the villain become some sort of foil for the main protagonist. Mm-hmm. Never seen that done before. But it's Definitely done better, like though. poorly. <laughs> um, and then the random vamp is telling Adam about like the attack and Jonathan and then here comes pick me Adam. I'm aware. More aware than any other thing here. No demon has ever been this awake or alive as I am. You're all just shadows. Like okay Adam my goodness. We get it. <laughs> And then that's all that we see of freaking Adam this episode. Like, okay, thank you. Um, okay, and then back at the mansion, we see Jonathan staring at a fireplace. Um, and then these girls just pop up from the balcony. Speaking of just like kind of, I know it's supposed to be lighthearted, haha, funny, hee But it's like these girls are not consenting to this because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. don't know who Jonathan is, right? And like they're and they move out for at the him end of the episode. are. Uh huh. Their feelings for him are very fabricated, right? Um, I feel like I need to say this, so this is a bit of a spoiler. So 
Otherwise, I would no, not. No, save it for the save it for the spoiler section. Are, are we doing week. a spoiler one for this one? Yeah, we're yeah. I, I said that I've been saying that this entire time. Yeah, I heard you. I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Leah! Well done. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. Okay, I will save it for the spoiler section. Oh man, you guys, need you to guys come have back Patreon one. I know. Or whatever <laughs> it is. Go to our buy us a coffee. Go buy mm-hmm. us a coffee. I'm anyway, hear your thoughts. Um, okay, so fun fact. Inga and Ilsa are their names. They're supposed to be Swedish twins. Um, their names are Julie Costello and Shawnee Costello. Um, they are actually from Kentucky. And according to Jane Espenson, their Swedish accents were dubbed in. <laughs> no way. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and he's like, girls, I'll be right back. And then he like takes off his robe and then we see that the mark on his shoulder, dun, 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 shocking. Jonathan Heffer over here, Hugh Heffer, (laughs) Heffner, not Heffer. He's not a cow. Jonathan Heffner. (laughs) (laughs) Moo. Oh boy, it's late. Okay, moving on. (laughs) You know who Hugh Heffner is, right? Yes. I just don't so remember. he has Hugh Hefner always wore the silk robe. So Jonathan, oh. like having the robe, taking it off, I called him Jonathan Hefner, except I accidentally called him Heifer, which is a female cow. I get it now, Sarah. Good joke. Thank you, Debbie. I just need <laughs> validation. Leah's giving me nothing. Hilarious joke. Ha ha ha. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Leah. So has much for pre-recorded with me. stuff on this little device, and then she'll just like play, be like, ha ha. Funny joke, Sarah. That's a good one, Sarah. Ha ha. <laughs> she leaves to go to the bathroom and leaves her tape recorder on and just presses the button every once in a while to like insert her little her good her point, Tabby. I hadn't thought of that before. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <clears throat> we see Willow Terra and Buffy all walking together. And then, okay, this was flipping obvious, and Buffy's like, "Do to do, they're just friends." Or as Willow real. like when like brings her Tara hand leaves, down, she's like, <laughs> she's like, "Okay, I'll see you later." Okay, and then they like grab hands, and Buffy just like looks away. <laughs> she doesn't even like notice it. I'm like, guys, you could wouldn't have been any more obvious. And Buffy's just like not paying attention at all. Yeah, the script says. As she goes, Willow puts a hand on Tara's shoulder, lets it drift down Tara's arm, gives her a hand a warm squeeze before they part. And they actually like hold hands for half a second. Yeah. And I watched Buffy's face because I was like curious. Buffy just stares straight at Tara the entire time, like pointedly not noticing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> sure, Riley. She sees things other people don't. Sure. <laughs> He's like, she's the most intuitive person I've ever met in my entire life. This is the next scene. Um, And then poor... Tara, dude, as I said earlier, I literally have zero recollection of this. And so I was actually shocked when the monster popped out. The poor girl was like dragged and hit and like kudos to her acting just because like I could just tell that she was very scared in this moment. Okay, Um, But also how awful that that spell that she read was like so flipping long. She's like, I know. Confundantur et air appellatur caligo. Absorbing it. I was like, you're dead already, girl. <laughs> Pick a shorter <laughs> spell. <laughs> oh my gosh, which is so funny because we've seen like Willow do some spells where she's just like two words and then all of a sudden like she's good. But this one was so Confringo. long and it was like Come on. just like some like acid or whatever or smoke, whatever that was. Um, enough for her to get away, but apparently she locked herself in the 
like janitor's closet all night long that's so sad the poor girl traumatizing she's like shaking and scared the next morning Uh barely verbal well and again like this is such unnecessary because then buffy comes in and asks her about it and then she ends up giving the exact same description as karen so like was this really necessary no then Okay, guys, I'm not going to tell you what movie it is, but what movie do you think this reminds you of where they're walking in the street and it's all the posters behind? It felt really familiar, but I don't know what movie. Tell us. It Because uh, I looked up when the movie was and the movie came out afterwards because I for sure thought it was an homage to it, Buffy but it's Spider-Man it 2 where oh, Peter's yeah. walking and it's all MJ. That's right. And her like right. a play or whatever. Um, but like it, like even like the shot, the way that's angled, I, I like for sure thought it was, but apparently it's not because Spider-Man 2 came out in 2004 and this came out in 2000. So, um, okay. And then this scene, I was like, okay, this is the type of Anya stuff that I love because like Buffy shows up to Xanier, Xanier's, Xander's basement trying to ask him some questions for what I don't know. I don't remember. don't really care. Um, Anya's there. She is She's asking like, about alternate universes, which is hilarious because Buffy does not remember that the events of the wish occurred. Um, but Anya does, and Anya does not ah. let it slip. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, she's very uh, she keeps it close to her chest for sure. Well, mm-hmm. she's just like so annoyed and uncomfortable. She's like, "Come in, make yourself." This is me home. when people just drop by my house without inviting or without giving an invitation rude, or. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> in this case, no, but like in real life, for sure. Um, and then I love how she's like reading, and then she gets so engulfed, and she looks up. She's like, "Oh, you're still here." That's nice. <laughs> and then she's trying to help her out. She's like, "Oh, um, buck up. You, you kill the best. Go kill, kill." And it's hilarious because she was like, it, "It's almost like she was like pro- reprogramming." Oh, she needs sympathy mm-hmm. and encouragement now. Put in the sympathy and encouragement card. Back to Giles's house and Buffy's talking to the game about this and they're all kind of being like, okay, when's Jonathan coming to start the meeting? And she's like, this is the meeting. Um, and they're all like, no, he's not too perfect. Like, he's good. Anya talks about alternate universes but totally fudges it up. And Buffy's like, no, that's not how you said it earlier. I just want to say many things may be different in this universe, but the one thing that will remain the same forever and always no one is ever that believes no one, Buffy. No one believes Buffy. <laughs> Even sometimes the fandom doesn't believe Buffy based on what Buffy wants and likes. But that's mm-hmm. all I'm gonna say about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Riley is like, "Let me have my good guy moment. I'm such a good guy, guys. I'm such a nice guy." I think it's nonsense, but I'm going to believe my girlfriend because I have to show her how much I care about her. I'm like, okay, like, shouldn't you always believe her, though, you know? Okay. But also, like, do you want us to applaud? Like, (laughs) you believe your girlfriend. Wow. The bare minimum. Good job, Riley. This is giving when you drive home when you're in a relationship right after a fight and then they buy a meal and you're like, thank you so much for the meal. This is the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. You're the best. Thank you so much for taking me out. Like, it's like, I'm going to try so hard to show you that I like really appreciate you. Or it's like you and your boyfriend get in a fight over him not buying you flowers. And then the next day he buys you flowers. And you're like, that was so nice of him. No, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> that was normal. I, th- I think that, we should give Riley props because he he really was trying, but it's hard to buy. 
I think I think we should. But again, I struggle to do so because the show is not doing a very good job of making us believe why we should do so. If Buffy and Riley had had a conversation in this episode, I would have bought this a lot more. Just going to say that. Um, then Jonathan shows up. Anya spills accidentally. I don't even know if it's accidentally. She just kind of says it without thinking. And then um, Buffy kind of asks him about the mark. And then Jonathan gives his BS answer. And then Buffy's like, okay, well, bet. Let's go after him right now, you and me. And he's like, "That was smart." Sure, he says it confuses him when he fights a monster. I guess, I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the graveyard, both of them are walking, and they bump into Spike again, and then the music comes out. I will say, okay, so my thoughts with this scene: Spike is absolutely vile again. Like he almost gropes Buffy if Jonathan hadn't stopped him. Um, but okay, I have a question for you guys. Do you guys think that Spike is the way he is with Buffy in the scene because he's still thinking about the poppy like warm champagne line from the episode before? I don't know, dog. I just kind of felt like this is one of those things they put in just so they can make it seem like Jonathan's supposed to be the good guy in this universe. You know what I mean? So they make mm. Spike kind of be this like vile character in the moment, which is yeah. – he is a monster. So like when right. this happens, it's supposed to be like Jonathan hauls Spike off of Buffy and tells him to get lost. You know? Like that's definitely the way Jonathan views himself as like he saves the women. Yeah. I I do want to say Passion the Nerd had a really interesting thought. He says, it's always interesting to be reminded how close sex and violence are for Spike. We've seen this from mm-hmm. all the way back school hard. Like he just constantly is equating sex with violence. Um, and he continues on and says, as well as how when presented with a depowered slayer lacking in self-confidence, Spike seeks to assert sexual dominance over her. And I was like, very interesting. Shelving that for later. Yep. Um, Buffy thinks on her feet and blackmails Spike for information. Good girl. Then we're back at Jaws' house. Um, and then they're looking for spells or information, anything to help them. And then Giles, not Giles, Xander accidentally does a spell that starts a fire in one of the That books. made me laugh so hard. Bro, I actually and- peed my pants. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually pee my pants. It's, it's an expression, Sarah. I'm not a Start toddler. Literal. She's around toddlers all the time. Not I don't toddlers. know because you're always like you're always saying that made me almost pee my pants, and this time you said you actually did. So I don't know if I actually pee my pants. I would not just casually put it in the podcast. Well, I'd be like, that's dude, what I peed my pants. <laughs> or I would, I, or I would start the episode with, dude, this episode legitimately made me keep, like pee pee piss my pants, <laughs> pee pee piss. There it is. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, I actually uh, yes. soiled myself in this scene, guys. <laughs> but the part was so funny because you have Giles looking at annoying. He's like. Don't speak Latin in front of the book, Xander. Like <laughs> he's come on, so every over Xander. He's like, I've been over this in for every years. universe. Giles is over Xander. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, they finally find the mark in one of the pages, um, and the spell that made the monster. And then in the caves with Jonathan and Buffy, they see a massive ditch and we get this fake out thinking that Jonathan's going to like kill Buffy. Um, But I don't think Jonathan is necessarily a bad dude. So he's like, hey, maybe the monster's over here. 
The monster comes out, knocks out Jonathan for a split second, and then we bounce back to Giles's house. Um, and then uh, who says Buffy's right? Is that Giles? Sometimes I don't put down who says it. Uh, I think it's Willow. She's like, Buffy's right? Buffy's and then like, right? that doesn't sound very likely. <laughs> oh my gosh. What in the world? Poor Buffy, bro. Can't catch a break. And you can see them kind of like talking about like the actual factuality of like the world not involving Jonathan the way that it is. But they're like, but like imagine a world without Jonathan. And they're like, oh, like if uh, if Jonathan is not how Jonathan wants to be, he's not going to want Buffy to know that. So that's how we, we got the fake out when it came to like the ditch. Um, and then we jump back to the cave. They're fighting the monster. And then Jonathan starts beating it up. And then he kind of like gets winded. Buffy fights it. And then um, Jonathan kind of throws or kicks it into the pit by also following in. The script says the crucial dynamic of this fight is that Jonathan is a strong fighter every time the monster is winning. And then when Jonathan is weak and scared every time the monster is losing, which I think is like you start to you, you start to notice that like it's pretty obvious. But I think that's really Interesting, given that Jonathan actively decides to try to overthrow the monster, even knowing that that was going to happen to him. Mm. Like, I don't want to give Jonathan too much props because – or too many props because he's obviously doing a bad thing. But I think at the end of the day, what they're trying to show us is that Jonathan isn't a necessarily bad, bad. Like, he has a conscience. He's misguided. He's doing he these things limits. because he's he's insecure and he's lonely. Um and that doesn't excuse the bad things he's doing, but it shows that he is redeemable, you know? There's something to pull from. Right, right. One good hero speech and we're good with him, you know? Yeah. That's how I kind of always view characters. If you're in the anti-hero phase, it's like a teeter-totter of like one good speech and then they revert back. There's a character in the Buffyverse that falls into this category. I'm not going to say who, but if you know, you know. <laughs> um, but there's multiple episodes of like those conversations and then you're like... <gasps> Maybe they'll change and then they kind of go back. But those characters are really interesting because they're kind of unpredictable. Whereas like there's characters like Jonathan that are kind of like grayish, but it's usually rooted in insecurity that can mm -hmm. be probed out in a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Right. Um, so the spell is broken because the monster falls and then uh, we see a poster of Oz's band. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I did I was like, that. Oz, it made me so sad. I wonder how his band is doing without Oz being in it. It makes me so sad. Mm -hmm. um, so outside campus, we see the gang having lunch, talking about Jonathan in the past tense, how he used to be the world that they thought he was, um, or the world that they thought was reality and that he was in. Um, Xander going on about how sad he is, and Buffy says, you were hurt most of all. And then Tara's like raises her hand. She's like, um, and they're like, oh, of course. Other than Tara, who was literally like beaten to a bloody pulp. Like, can we stop forgetting about Tara's drama and Tara existing? I'm glad that she is being involved with the gang, though. Like, yeah. I think this is the first She's time involved in the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, like Buffy, Xander, Anya, Willow, Riley, and Tara, like everybody with their significant others is here. I think this is the first time that everyone's the been very end of season together four. well no uh, yeah <laughs> i mean they were in the bronze and stuff but we haven't seen them all together yeah this is the first time that's kind of crazy that's a lot of big things that happened this episode and it's such a random episode yeah it is 
Um, and I will say this is my favorite scene of the episode. Do I wish I can make it a little bit better? Yes, but I think it, it is a good scene. It's like Buffy sees mm-hmm. Jonathan, and of course, Buffy being a good person, very empathetic. She could have ignored him. I'd be mad at him, and that would have been so fair. But Buffy kind of like walks up to him. We already see that his hair is kind of like not as cool looking. It's a little bit flatter. His clothes, even like, I mean, Danny Strong is a great actor. I've seen him many things. Like his his stature, his demeanor is a lot more like shrinkish. He's a lot more like, you know, just seems a lot more just small in a sense of like his presence is very small. Mm-hmm. Like he just seems very like, no one look at me. I'm insecure. Um Buffy walks up to him and then he kind of mentions like some people are mad at me. Some people won't even acknowledge me. And then in true Buffy fashion, it's just very much like, can you blame them? But in a very like sweet, soft tone, because I feel like she understands that he's a very fragile person. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's she's just very intuitive. She knows what each person that she's talking to needs. Um. And I just love that about her. Um, And then he apologizes, which I really appreciate. And then he kind of like spells out what happened. He went to counseling after earshot. And then um, that's how he kind of landed on a spell through one of the counselors. And then, which is kind of like an interesting thing because like in that world, counselors could use wishes to change people's reality, which is really an interesting idea. Yeah, he he learned a spell from another kid with – the same problems. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a question for you guys. So some people criticize Buffy's response at the end of the episode as unfair and somewhat unkind and that she could have done more for Jonathan, like said, hey, come over and join my group of friends or something like that. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that She doesn't Buffy- owe him anything though. Like I think it's like it's like a nice thing, but she's already like done a lot for him and like she's saving the world like – at this point, it's like they had this conversation where she's holding him accountable but is being kind to him. But it's like she doesn't owe him anything. She doesn't have to include him in – I'd be mad at him. Like you don't have to include him in like the like tight circle, you know? But there's also an aspect where it's like he very obviously romanticizes Buffy's life and yeah. everyone in the Scooby's mm. lives. And I feel like if she was to invite him, he would end up getting killed because he doesn't understand the real – risks that it takes to be friends with Buffy on top of the fact that it's like Buffy even just talking to him is a kindness like Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to talk to him and I wouldn't fault her but she definitely also doesn't need to go out of her way to be friends with him like Mm -hmm. she's not rude or cruel for not being friends with someone who has pretty consistently made some pretty poor choices Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's not Buffy's responsibility to save Jonathan or like, and I don't mean like physically, um, specifically from non-supernatural things. Like it's not a responsibility to save him from non-supernatural things um, or to be his friend. And she has saved him twice now and has encouraged him. She went to go visit him after earshot to make sure that he was okay. And people often forget that. So Buffy has gone out of her way to make sure that Jonathan is okay and has helped him be seen several times now. And obviously it impacted him because he gave her the speech in the prom and presented the award to her. Um, And I think of other characters like Lily or Anne and even Angel that have been saved by Buffy, but then have chosen to do the right thing afterwards on their own. And I think Jonathan has been shown what the right thing to do is, but is still actively choosing the wrong thing. And that's on him. That's not on Buffy. Um, But also 
Buffy the show is not in the business of saving souls. That's kind of an angel thing. You know, they're more about saving lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And I will say this last little bit kind of like made me really sad. He's like, he tells like Buffy, like, and I think he's really trying so hard to be like, okay, I can't be the superhero, but maybe I can be somebody who can give Buffy advice when I know that she's struggling based off of me, like forcing that information out of her, you know, uh, when yeah. she didn't want to in that fake universe. But he, he says like, what you have is really complicated, but it's worth it. And he's like crying. And then he yeah. just like walks away. I was like, Oh, he is hurting. But it's also like, you can't just like take over people's minds. You can't take over people's minds, but like, in a, on a more practical level, you ca also can't expect people to be friends with you when you are not comfortable with being yourself. Yeah. Jonathan needs to be comfortable with himself, and then he'll be able to find true and authentic friends. And I think that's what Buffy's trying to tell him is like, you can't take the easy way out of this. Yeah. Like, you have to work hard. Um, and I actually think there's something really deep and meaningful behind that. Even though this episode doesn't portray it really well, it has some really good moments of dialogue like this that I think are actually mm -hmm. incredibly practical and really good advice for the rest of us, you know? And then this last scene, I'm this like- so unnecessary. So weird. weird. In the world. Well, it's because it's like, okay, like we're all back to normal. But even so then, like they're kissing. And it's like, okay, so you guys are sexually back to normal. But even still, like Buffy is like, I'm glad we talked this out. And even Riley is like, we haven't talked at all. I'm like, guys, your communication <sighs> sucks. Especially like, given what real. the next episode is all about. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just bored. I want them to talk. <laughs> I want them to figure it out. And I, oh, I'm bored. I'm bored of them. Sorry. <laughs> Leah. Uh, um, apparently, they cut out a line in this where – after Buffy says, oh, Jonathan, it fades to black. And then you're supposed to hear Buffy say, I was kidding before it, it like moves on. But they cut what? that I out. So that. They no. Made it sound yeah, they made it sound like Buffy was serious and it's or it's ambiguous. Sometimes the show pisses me off. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, you know what? I bet you the next episode they're going to be doing so much talking. <laughs> I think the next episode is really going to redeem this episode. Like, I really think that if you guys really struggle <laughs> with this episode, really wait till next week because it's definitely going to be worth the wait. It's going to find a whole new low. Let me tell you. <laughs> that was a lie, by the way. That was a lie. <laughs> Speaking of next time, it's going to be so much fun. We are doing Where the Wild Things Are. If you know, you know. Um, but we're going to have our brother David and his wife Catherine on with us. They were on mm -hmm. with us for Hush. And we've actually already recorded this episode, and it's pretty great. It's really fun. Um, we have we talk about pilgrim sex, so if that's not a uh, teaser for next time, then I don't know what is. But yes, I hope that we will make it somewhat enjoyable for you guys. That we will actually maybe learn something. Maybe we won't. Who knows? But we hope to see you guys there. As always, guys. Uh, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Check out our member tiers. It's going to be some good stuff. Um, but in case you don't want to do that, guys, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. Or if you have any thoughts about this episode, you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your guys' support, and we will see you next time. <laughs>